Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I'm your host, Andrea, and I am going to tell you the stories of some of my personal favorite authors. So I love the movie Serendipity, and you're not surprised because I love sappy, corny love stories. But I do think it's kind of crazy that Serendipity is now 22 years old. I don't know how 2001 is that long ago, but it is. Now, I loved it from the first time I saw it in theaters. But then again, this is the early 2000s, so I had to wait years until it was shown on regular rotation on cable. And then I watched it many, many, many times, like you know how TBS used to do marathons of movies. And with this movie, there are two parts that I will never forget. One was the main character's definition of serendipity, which is a fortunate accident. And the second is the book, Love in the Time of Cholera. So for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, Sarah, who is played by Kate Beckinsale, writes her name and number in a copy of her book of Love in the Time of Cholera, and then tells Jonathan, played by the amazing John Cusack, that she will donate or sell it or something. Anyway, she's going to get rid of it. And then the idea is, you know, if that book makes its way back into his hands, obviously it's meant to be. I believe the magical realism of this book is a perfect match for the magical realism of the movie. And since I think we all need more magical realism in our lives, this episode is about Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Gabriel José de la Concordia García Márquez was born on March 6, 1927 in Aracataca, Colombia. Now, he often went by the nickname Gabo, so I'm going to use that moving forward. His parents are Gabriel and Luisa, but honestly, it looks like the biggest parental influences in his life were his maternal grandparents. His maternal grandfather was Colonel Nicola Ricardo Marquez Mejia. I'm just going to call him the Colonel. Anyway, the Colonel was a big deal with Colombian liberals. He was most well known for being vocal during the Banana Massacre. I had never heard of the Banana Massacre, so I did look that up, and here's what I found out. In 1928, workers of the United Fruit Company went on strike for improved work conditions. I mean, their list of demands was pretty basic. They wanted improved health care and six-day work weeks. Somehow in this, the army was called to end the strike. And when the army came, they issued a five-minute warning for people to evacuate. And then on a Sunday afternoon, the army opened fire on the workers and their families. Now, obviously, there are many different accounts of this event, depending on which viewpoint you're looking at it from, Uh, lots of different accounts on how it all occurred. But what we do know for sure is that the colonel was vocal against the government actions for this strike. Apparently, the colonel was vocal about a lot of things, and he was also adamantly against the courtship of his daughter, Luisa, Gabo's mom, and Gabrielle, Gabo's father. According to the colonel, this man was a womanizing conservative who was not good enough for his daughter. And, you know, the tale is old as time. The father's disapproval drove Louisa straight into the arms of the man that he didn't approve of. So Louisa and Gabrielle got married, and then they had their first child, Gabo. And then shortly after that, they left him with her parents and moved away. So that is why Gabo was raised by his grandparents, and he was until he was eight years old. Now, he was the oldest of 11 siblings, and then also 
some half-siblings because his grandfather was right about his father. Um, but I honestly, I have not been able to find much information about them. So I'm not sure if he had siblings with him and his grandparents or if they were with his parents or where that all works out. But regardless, Gabo's grandfather, with all of his stories of military and their ancestry, and then his grandmother who had strong beliefs in ghosts and omens and magic, they were both enormous influences in his life. Now, in December of 1936, his father and mother did come to get him again. And then in 1937, his grandfather, the colonel, passed away. This must have been a tremendously upsetting time for him to be taken from the only home that he has ever known, and then to lose his grandfather that he loved so dearly. Now, the reason that his parents actually came and got Gabo was because his father had become a pharmacist and had opened a pharmacy. But as soon as they brought him back into their lives, they actually sent Gabo to attend schools in other places. So he ended up being really well-educated, but it doesn't seem like he had the opportunity to have a, a strong relationship with his parents. Now, throughout school, he was writing. So he was writing really young and he also excelled in sports. He did well in school. And then in 1947, he started law school in Bogota. And this was really to please his father. It's what his father wanted him to do, even though he really loved writing. So he also continued writing while he was in law school. And his first short story was published in 1947. He also completed his first novella in 1948, although it is going to take him seven years to find a publisher for that book. Then in April of 1948, the college where he was studying law actually burned to the ground. And so at this point, he had to transfer to another law school. And this is when he started writing for the local paper. And then in 1950, he decided, that's enough, I'm done studying law, and he became a full-time journalist. He did finally have his first novella published. So not the one he wrote first, but the first one that was published was a novella called Leaf Storm, and it was published in 1955. And he was continuing his career in journalism, and it had him moving all over the world. So he was working for different publications and actually doing a really great job in the field of journalism, reporting on things that got him in trouble, you know, good journalist stuff. And then in 1958, he went back to Columbia to marry Mercedes. Now he had actually met Mercedes when they were children. And then they waited a really, really long time to get married. Ironically, Mercedes' father did not approve of the marriage. So it was actually pretty similar to Gabo's own parents' relationship. But in the end, Gabo and Mercedes were married in 1958. The next year, in 1959, their first son, Rodrigo Garcia, was born. And then they decided to take a trip on a Greyhound bus. I don't know who thinks that's a good idea with a newborn, but that's what they did. And they traveled around the southern United States. And this was apparently because Gabo was a fan of the work of William Faulkner, and he wanted to see the areas of the United States that Faulkner wrote about. And somehow this trip led them to Mexico City. We'll just call it serendipity. And they decided to call Mexico City home. 
Now, in 1962, Gabo's second book, which was his first full-length novel, and it was called An Evil Hour, that book was published. And then in 1964, their second son, Gonzalo, was born. And even though Gabo had success as a journalist and had published a couple of books by this point, they were truly like barely getting by. And Mercedes was doing everything she could to keep the house together, to keep the children fed and making it all work really in order to support Gabo's writing. She definitely believed in him and what he was doing. And then according to legend, and I say that because I can't find primary sources for this one, but there are many accounts that talk about Mercedes packing up the family to take them on a short vacation. And she was doing this because she wanted to help Gabo clear his mind for his writing. And as they were on the way to their vacation, Gabo came up with the first line for the book he was writing. And it was so good that Mercedes was like, heck, we're turning around. We're going back home. You're writing this book. And that's what they did. So Gabo spent the next 18 months completing 100 Years of Solitude. And this book combines the stories of his family and ancestry with the military stories from his grandfather, which includes a fictionalized banana massacre and the magic of his grandmother and her stories. But while he was writing this book, the family was very poor. So they ended up selling everything they could and they didn't even have money to send the manuscript to the publisher. So again, according to the story, at that point, Mercedes sold the last thing she had of value, which was her hairdryer, in order to send that manuscript to the publisher because she really believed in it. And also after 18 months of sacrifice, I'm sure she wanted to see this through. And it was a very good thing that she did this because 100 Years of Solitude was published in 1967 and it was a hit. And I think now it is a good time to share the first line of this book. And this is the line that Gabo said to Mercedes when they were driving and made her stop the family vacation so that he could write. And I quote, many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. End quote. So there you go. That was the line. Now with the success of this novel, the family moves to Barcelona, Spain, and Gabo is working with politicians and he continues to write. And it is also during this time that he was famously or infamously punched in the face by fellow author Mario Varga Losa. So apparently Mario and his wife, Patricia were friends with Gabo and Mercedes and Mario ended up cheating on Patricia and then Gabo and Mercedes helped Patricia move out. And then Gabo in all of this told Patricia that she should leave Mario. And then Patricia and Mario ended up getting back together. But Mario then thought that Gabo had been hitting on Patricia. It is a very complicated story, very dramatic. But in the end, Mario punched Gabo. And that was like a big deal for some reason. But that is not the only trouble Gabo got into at this time of his life. Uh, he was quite outspoken, much like his grandfather. And one of the things he was outspoken about were his views on United States imperialism. And because of this, he ended up unable to get a U.S. visa for many, many years. Actually, that went on until Bill Clinton's presidency. He was the one who changed that. 
So Gabo's doing a lot during this time. Um, they lived in Spain until the mid-1970s, and then they ended up with homes in Mexico City, Paris, and Havana. And of course, he continued to write and publish books. Now, in addition to writing books and short stories, he is also writing screenplays and operas, interestingly. And then in 1982, Gabriel Garcia Marquez won the Nobel Prize in Literature for, and I quote, his novels and short stories in which the fantastic and the realistic are combined in a richly composed world of imagination reflecting a continent's life and conflicts, end quote. And Gabo was the first Colombian to receive this accolade. And then in 1985, that is when Love in the Time of Cholera was published. And then, of course, it was in the movie Serendipity in 2001. Now, in 1999, Gabo was diagnosed with lymphatic cancer, which prompted him to start writing his memoir. And somehow in the year 2000, a Peruvian paper published a poem that they claimed was a farewell from Gabo. And it wasn't like at all. It was actually a poem that a ventriloquist had written for his dummy. And somehow the paper got confused. I have no idea how that's a thing that happens. I didn't, first of all, I did not know that ventriloquists wrote poems for their dummies, but I guess that makes sense. It's part of their act. But how this paper got that and thought that was from Gabriel Garcia Marquez and his goodbye as he was dying, I don't know. But he didn't write that. Gabo did end up with dementia towards the end of his life and ended up passing away from pneumonia on April 17th, 2014 in Mexico City. And his life was really celebrated throughout the entire world, which was amazing. He had written in his lifetime 11 novels, five short story collections, nine works of nonfiction, and then many, many screenplays. And he actually had an unfinished manuscript and his sons were not really sure about publishing it posthumously, but they have decided that in 2024, 10 years after his death, that it is going to be published. So next year we are going to get the final um, book by Argabo. And I want to close this episode with a quote from Gabo himself. And I quote, from the moment I wrote Leaf Storm, I realized I wanted to be a writer and nobody could stop me. And that the only thing left for me to do was to try to be the best writer in the world. End quote. You know, so much of his writing has that fantastical quality. And it would be really fun right now to end this with like, oh, he was so prophetic and he did become one of the best writers in the world. But I think the truth is he had a dream and he worked diligently. He sacrificed. He did everything he could to accomplish that goal. And he did. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it. And this person knew a good thing when it hit him. <laughs>